We are living in a time, when you think about it, that there's a tremendous amount of things happening. And one of the interesting things about it is that it happens with such speed. Every day, you know, we wake up in the morning and all of a sudden there's something that happened that's tremendously either catastrophic or significant. And uh, of course, everybody, <clears throat> I'm sure everybody walks around asking themselves, you know, how do we really understand all this? I'm sure that's really what's going on, you know. And the truth is that um, all of this, in many ways, they're all connected, really. The only thing is that they look so separate that you don't really see the connection. And that's what I try to do. To connect, as they say, to connect all the dots. Which is really the only way to get an understanding of what is happening. <clears throat> the question is, how do you connect the dots? Because you have stuff going on. I mean, for instance, you know, you have America, <clears throat> you know, we had the impeachment of Trump, uh, and then we have the uh, peace plan, uh, you know, and um, you have a Brexit, and you have China, then you have uh, Iran, Soleimani, uh, then of course Eretz Israel. They don't seem to be able to get their act together and put together a government. So the question, is, you know, everybody deep down in some way realizes there has to be some type of an inner plan, an inner agenda that is really responsible for this. In order to understand that, however, what you really have to have is an understanding of the divine agenda, because that's really what's happening. You know, there are different ways of understanding history, you know. Uh, most people understand history either descriptively, you know, when we all learned history, it was names, dates, places, and so on, you know. And of course, historians try to understand those principles of history. And the way they understand it, of course, is it's either military reasons or cultural reasons or scientific reasons or political and so on, you know. But the truth is that we know <clears throat> that the reasons that historians speak about are not the ultimate reasons, they are really what's called intermediate reasons. In other words, what's behind everything is really is the divine plan. Except God uses a lot of these things, you know, military reasons and cultural and scientific and political and so on, in order that his agenda be fulfilled. So therefore, without an understanding of a divine agenda, you really, uh, in many ways, you really cannot know what's going on. Because the ultimate reasons are not these things. So therefore, what I'd like to do, of course, and which is I've been doing it actually for quite a while, uh, more than four years, <clears throat> ever since Trump came down that elevator uh, on June 15th, 2015, you know, is trying to connect all the dots. Um, and uh, it's been, a, you know, in many ways, it's a, a very challenging, I have to say, to be able to grasp an, a historical event at a different level and so on. Uh, in a certain sense, it's been very, very rewarding. And uh, so far, I'm uh, batting a great average, as they say, you know. Uh, so therefore, it, in many ways, like I say, it's challenging, it's rewarding. But the key idea of all of this 
uh, is not just to figure out what's going on for its own sake, but <clears throat> we witness today uh, something which is very important. The Jews have been in Golis for 2,000 years. You know, and as they prolonged, as the Golis is prolonged, what happens is the Jewish people begin to have a tremendous weakening of their faith and Muna and be talking and trusting God. Because they see things going on today which is the opposite of what the Torah says about God and His agenda. You know, we see evil prosper all the time. We see tremendous, like I say, Rishoyim having a great time. We see a lot of righteous people suffering, you see. <clears throat> and uh, I'm not even talking about the wars of mankind. You know, the evil perpetrated by mankind, you know. So, we, we, as we continue to live, we are faced with tremendous challenges to our belief. And I'll be talking. So therefore the question is, well, what do you do? Well, you can read Svarim, you know, that talk about Bitochen and Amuna, like the Chovas Alvavas. You know, these are famous Svarim, the Orchazatikim, and so on. Or, you can stay there in confusion. And really don't, you don't really know what to do. Uh, but when you think about it, um, which, what, what, something which I've realized, one of the greatest ways to machazek, to strengthen your faith and trust in God, is by seeing the hand of God. You see it. You see? So you realize that God has not abandoned us at all. On the contrary, He moves, but very silently and very concealed. That's true. But beyond it all, behind it all, there is the hand of God. Uh, so that is one of the ways, actually, it's one of the most powerful ways to be mechazek, your amuna, to strengthen your faith and trust in God. And that, in the end, is really my motive. You know, uh, the reason why uh, I do this kind of stuff. You know, it's not just to produce tapes or videos. Uh, it's not entertainment. If it was, I would charge whole different set of prices. If it was entertainment, right? Uh, at least $10,000 a year, right? That's what the Holly guy, Hollywood guys get. Uh, but the, uh, the reason why I do it uh, is uh, of the Jewish people. Because in many ways, it's in the pits. What can I tell you? Even though we forget about the Jews that are gone, but even the Jews that are religious, it's very bad because there's a tremendous halisha, weakening, you see, of faith and trust in God. And it's a tremendous mitzvah, you know, to strengthen that aspect of a Jew. Very great mitzvah. Is that as you get closer to the redemption, it gets darker. Uh, last week I gave a shir. It was called Why Evil Persists. I actually gave several shirim uh, and so on, which tries to explain why is it as you get closer to the redemption, it gets worse darker, you know, uh, and uh, the ultimate reason I gave that year, explaining why it gets worse, why it must get worse before the redemption itself, you know, uh, so I would certainly encourage everybody to check out that year, to listen to that and so on, you know, uh, but today's year is uh, really going to dwell on current events, because uh, there's so much stuff happening, it's, uh, it's just incredible. But the interesting thing is not, it's not just stuff that's happening. The stuff that's happening is earth-shattering. I mean, this coronavirus is a real danger to the entire world economy, you know, uh, and so on. 
what we're witnessing in, in Eretz Israel is historical. Never happened before. Imagine two elections, and there's going to be a third election in two weeks, and it's going to wind up to be the exact same thing. No, no government, nothing, you know. <clears throat> and, um, you know, and then you have the impeachment of a sitting president with no charges at all, which is insane. And the Democratic Party has now become psychotic. They're now eligible for free psychiatric care. The Democratic Party, you know, uh, which is uh, just <clears throat> absolutely astounding, you know. And uh, we have uh, many other, I mean, there's a whole infestation of locusts. We have now been revisited by the mock-up of our bet, you know. Uh, like, what in the world is going on here? You know, so that's what I, I would like to try to explain. <clears throat> but remember, it's based on the divine agenda. Other than that, there is no real explanation. Other than the world, uh, other than the fact that everybody's crazy. You know, what, what, what other explanation is there? And so on, you know. Um, in any case, so, to get into this stuff, <clears throat> um, there's certain things which I have mentioned in the past, over the, you know, over the years and so on. But it bears, uh, again, mentioning, because in many ways it's the introduction. Uh, it is a necessary, what's called introduction, to understand what is happening. <clears throat> now, one of the things which we, which we have to know, which many people make a mistake, <clears throat> is the Messianic era itself. Because when you think about it, all of this is leading up to that era. So then the question, of course, is, what is that era, basically? So, just to give you a feel of that, <clears throat> there's a Pasuk in Yeshaya Hanovi. Uh, it's a Perak Nun Beis. I think it's Pasuk Ches, whatever. And it says the following, Hine Yaskel Avdi, Behold, my servant will grow wise. And then it says, Viyorum, and he will grow. Venisa, become great. Vegovami Oid, and he will become exceedingly great. Who is this servant that obviously goes through these phases? So, uh, the, 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 um, there's, of course, there's uh, different views. Uh, some people hold that it is the Jewish people itself, that they will become great in the end of time, which obviously makes a lot of sense. Uh, but Kabbalistically, and even the Yalka, the, not the Yalka, the uh, Targum, says Malka Meshichah, the Pasuk is referring to the Mashiach, really specifically, basically, Mashiach ben Yosef. And therefore, it says, Hine yaskal avdi, my servant will grow wise, means the Mashiach will grow wise. What does that mean? Without getting into the whole thing, because Mashiach, in, in a certain sense, is in a prison, not a literal prison, but a figurative prison, which I've spoken before, that the Mashiach himself suffers a great deal in order to alleviate the suffering of the Jewish people. He is a partner with the suffering, without going into why I once spoke about that and so on, you know. And the Pasuk is saying, Hine Yaskal Avdi, he will grow. He finally gets out of prison. It's a figurative prison, not a literal prison. You know, it's the impediments that blocks him, ends. And that's really the Aschalta de Gula, in any case. And it says that he will grow. So the Medrash asks, well, it says he will grow. What does that mean? So the Medrash posits an incredible concept that when he gets out of his prison he will grow to be greater than Avram Avinu. Now, we don't know what Avram Avinu was, he's a legend in that sense, you know. He's the first of the office. 
And obviously he defied the entire planet in the belief of one God. And he also went into the burning furnace. I mean, and then the Akeda. I mean, who could understand Avraham Avinu? Obviously he's one of the greatest Jews who ever lived. Yet this man, the Mashiach, Mashiach ben Yosef, will be greater than Avraham Avinu. Then it says, Nisa, and he will, and he will rise, which means he will be greater than just great. So the Medrash asks, well, what does that mean? So the Medrash says something which is hard to believe. It says that he will be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, like, you don't get greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Could you imagine if Moshe Rabbeinu came into your living room and sat down? You know, you'd probably run away. You could never tolerate that man's holiness. I mean, here's a person who spoke to God throughout the whole Chumash. Can you imagine? That was the person that, that Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the being that Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to. We cannot imagine this person. He's the greatest of all the Nevi'im, of the prophets, and so on. His relationship to God is beyond comprehension, you see. So the Mashiach is greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. And then it has a last verse, a last, uh, where it says, And he will be exceedingly great. So the Mendesh asks, well, who's after that, right? Who's greater than Moshe Rabbeinu? You see? So the Mendesh answers, he will be greater than the Malachim, angels. And you can imagine a guy walking around who's greater than Michoel, Gabriel. It's beyond belief. You know, in many ways, he's not human in that sense, although he is in human clothing, so to speak. He's a human being. But how we cannot even imagine that. So, this is a person that's going to redeem the Jewish people. Imagine that. So, God is sending somebody, you know, he's not on the bottom of the list. He is the top of humanity. In fact, he's the greatest person who ever lived in order to bring down the next thing. What does he bring down? What does he do? Now, most people think the Messianic era, basically, it's an era when all things bad will not happen. It means everybody will have a parnosa, right? Everybody will be healthy, uh, livelihood, peace, no more wars, uh, the economy will be fabulous, you know, um, <clears throat> nobody dies and all that and so on, there's no health problems, you know. Um, so they all think that it's it, what they would call in English utopia, you see. But when you think about that, that's not what he does. Uh, just to create a utopia, which is a planet devoid of, you know, really terrible things. That's not what the Mashiach is about. That's the, you know, that could be, I, I think, a non-Jewish version of what could happen. But that's not the version that we believe in. What do we believe? Uh, so there's a Medrash at the end of, it's a Medrash Rabbah, at the end of Kohelas, that says something which is, for us, it's almost impossible to understand. It says that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu gave us, which is what? It's the Babylonian Talmud, the Jerusalem Talmud, so all the Rishonim, the Achroinim, all the commentaries, all the hundreds of thousands of Svarim ever written, right? That's the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. So the Medrash says that the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, which is everything we have, is Hevel, Luft, air, compared to the Torah of the Mashiach. It's astounding. All we have is the, the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. So how could something, the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu, be no substance? Because air has no substance. That means it is so inferior 
to the messianic Torah, right, that it's just beyond comprehension. Yet that's what it is. So we are going to be living in a generation in which the Torah that the Mashiach will teach is not another Torah. Don't think it's another one. It is the Torah of Moshe, except it is at a level of depth that is incomprehensible, you see. If you want, you could compare it to science in, uh, you know, 1640, right? There were scientists then. They had things going on, right? But you compare it to science in 2020, it's primitive. Uh, that's exactly what the Mashiach bin Yosef, even though it's the same, uh, the same framework, the same science, in that sense, you know. So, we will be living in, in the presence of an individual, and the atmosphere, the environment will be such, where it will be incomprehensible. The amount of holiness, the amount of knowledge of God, like it says, Kimolorj Deo, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. You see, Kimolorj Deo means the entire world is filled with the knowledge of God. That means God is no more located in a place like the Beis Amikdash. His presence pervades all reality. And that is the Messianic era. <clears throat> so it's incredible. So the Messianic era is an era of unparalleled uh, spirituality that we cannot even comprehend. I'm not even talking about that there's no death or anything else. It is something that we cannot imagine. You see, if you took a guy, you know, from... Uh, uh, the 12th century CE, 800 years ago, right? And you brought him into Manhattan, Fifth Avenue, in 2020, he would collapse. He couldn't imagine what was going on. The difference in 800 years between the knowledge of mankind then and now is beyond comprehension. That's exactly the, um, the metaphor that you could use for the Messianic era. We cannot comprehend what it is. Uh, in fact, the Chazal call it Chevli Mashiach. Imagine a child before it's born, right? It's, 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 it's a hotel, right? Gets all its food whenever it wants. It's warm, it's snug, it's great, right? And it's protected, you know, it doesn't feel anything about the world. And then all of a sudden, after the birth, the kid comes out, what a rude awakening. It's a whole different world that it could never comprehend while it was inside. You see? It's the same idea. That's why it's Chivli Mashiach, the birth pangs of the Mashiach. When the Mashiach comes, it'll be a world that we cannot envision at the present time. Now that Medrash continues, by the way, and says that the Torah of the Mashiach, of which we cannot comprehend, right, that it is Hevel, is air compared to the Torah of Ulam Habo. You know, so we got, we got problems of understanding the era of the Mashiach, Ilum Haba. It's, it, there's not even a comparison to the environment of Ilum Haba, which of course is beyond comprehension. So this really is what the Messianic era is all about, which is very impo important. Okay. Now the question is this. Okay, so this man was going to introduce this type of environment, right? How in the world is he going to come to this world? I've said many times that he's the most dangerous person in the world. Because you cannot, you cannot uh, suffer. You cannot uh, uh, bear. You cannot bear that type of Kedusha. It's over with. And what he will wind up doing is killing everybody. Which is exactly what happened by 
Yamsa, by uh, what he called by uh, Matantara. They all heard the word of God and they all died because they could not bear the unbelievable holiness of that terror that God gave them, you see. Um, so then what is God going to do? And the answer to that is that there has to be a hachono, a prep. There has to be a preparation for this. You know, you do, Jew, Jew, Jews cannot enter that type of domain with this individual and this environment. It's impossible. That's a very important idea, you see. And the truth is that the Torah says that. The Torah says that at the end of the if your exiles be at the end of heaven, and that's a, you know, end of heaven means that, you know, you're in uh, Zimbabwe, you know, or whatever, you know, you're all over the place, right? God will gather all the Jews, everyone, right? And he will take you at the end of time, you see. Uh, so that is the guarantee that the exile will leave no one behind. That's what it means and so on, you know. But the question, of course, is how is that possible? When you look at the world today, the Jewish population, there's 11 million people that are gone, Jews, that are gone. You know, between assimilation and intermarriage and unaffiliation, you know, they're really all gone. So how God is going to do that is one of the greatest mysteries of all. You know, how do you do that? And so on, you know. But nonetheless, that's what it says that he will do. Very important. Where do we see this? Because you see this from Egypt. Egypt, by the way, is the model of the redemption itself. It's very important. If you study Egypt and how it happened, then you will understand the redemption. But it's not easy to study Egypt, you see. <clears throat> and the idea to that, because it says, He need go out the Eschem Akras Courageous. We say that in the Kedusha, that behold, you know, I will redeem you. The last redemption will be like the first, which is Egypt. Now, so if you study the Egyptian redemption, you can get a, a feeling, an inkling of what's going to happen. When the Jews, uh, they were slaves for hundreds of years. And God, of course, decided to terminate that slavery. So he did it not by natural means. He did it by completely supernatural means. Totally, you know, uh, you know, when you know the ten plagues and so on, you know, they're all supernatural uh, and, and so on. And that's how he did it. But all he did was free them. But that's a, that's a million miles from Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, you see. So what God had to do is to bring them from here to here, spiritually, not just free them from slavery, but he had to change the character of the Jew to become a spiritual giant or else they could not accept the Torah. And even then, they all died. Could you imagine the Torah, the Torah, by the way, that was given at Har Sinai initially, before the sin of the golden calf, was the messianic light. What we talk about, you know, the, right now, Hineaskel Avdi, you know, that the, uh, the uh, Torah of the Mashiach was the, the, the Torah that given, was given at the uh, Matan Torah, at the giving of the Torah. Of course, after the sin of the golden calf, it was substantially reduced. Uh, so therefore, they had, a, they had to have a hachana, a preparation. Where was the preparation? Well, think about that. The Jews, you know, the Egyptians are being slaughtered by the Marcus. But the Jews, what they do, they witnessed all this. But what is important to know is that each Marcus represent an unbelievable spiritual illumination 
of one sphera. There were ten makas, ten spheres. A sphera is the energy output or the forces that God uses, okay, to uh, create realities. Uh, so therefore, each maka represented one sphera, one incredible divine illumination, and the Jews not only saw the maka, but they saw the illumination itself. So the entire year, because the makas took one year, the entire length of time was witnessing unbelievable spiritual insights. That was one. Then the second thing was when it says that uh, and the darkness, and in, in, for, in all, for all the Jews, there was light in their dwelling. That light wasn't light. It was an unbelievable spiritual uh, insight. So that's the second Hachonah. The third Hachonah is the Yamsuf, the Kriyas Yamsuf. And it, was, and it says in the, 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 the uh, Chazal, the what? That a maidservant saw more of the divine light, right, secrets, than Yecheskel Hanavi saw. And by the way, Kabbalah is based on Yecheskel. So they were greater than Yecheskel Hanavi, a handmaiden, right? was greater than Ezekiel the prophet. Unbelievable. So that's the third hachono, you see. And then the fourth hachono preparation is the 49 days. Now we don't know what took place in those 49 days. You know, they weren't just sitting around. Each day was an aliyah, was an ascent in some incredible area of spirituality. So by the time that they, they, that they stood at Mount Sinai, they had externalized the Sutton. It was no, the Sutton's power over the human body is called Zoyama, pollution. They had extracted the Zoyama from their body and they were no more subject to death. The Gemara says they were like other Mauritian before the sin. Now that means they were not normal. They were not uh, the human beings as we know it. Now we don't know what that means and uh, without getting into all the other questions and so on. That preparation was necessary for them to receive the Torah, which would have been the Torah of the Mashiach, you see. Now, so therefore, that's a very important concept. There needs to be a real prep, preparation, for this entire interchange, because this is really what the Messianic is about. It's not freedom, like I say, you know, we make a great living, and so on, you got a lot of customers and all that. That's not what it's about. It is a change in reality. It's really what it is. Anyway, uh, now, the second important idea to understand when we understand this is that there are phases, okay? And the phases are what? You have the first phase is what's called the Tikkun phase, where mankind is given the job to rectify the universe, which means to bring God's presence back into the world. And I've spoken about this, but I'm not going to dwell on this, but that's basically, it's called the Tikkun phase. Mankind tried for 2,000 years, they failed, so God gave the tikkun rectification ability to the Jewish people, Tavrom Avinu and his descendants. So that's the second phase of the tikkun process, which we are now in now. Uh, so that process continues for the next almost 4,000 years. Now we are at the end of time, so we are in the last phase of the whole tikkun process rectification process. And what that means is that we are in what's called the termination phase. 
Uh, you know, if, there's, if you go see a play, you know, a play usually has two acts or maybe three acts and it has different scenes in those acts. We are now the equivalent of act three, scene three, which is the end. That means the play is no longer interested in developing the plot. It now wants to bring the play to an end, the climax, right? We are in the climax phase and that is why you are seeing what you are seeing. Unbelievable historic events, political events, and all kinds of events and so on with such accelerated speed. We're in the termination phase. Now the termination phase itself has three sub-phases. <laughs> the first sub-phase of the termination phase, remember, termination phase is act three, scene three. God is no longer involved uh, in, in terms of bringing the tikkun. The tikkun is 98% complete. The interest of God is to terminate the whole thing, which means he has to get the world ready for the Mashiach to come. That's what the scene three is. Okay, so that has three subphases. The first one is called Ikvesid <clears throat> Mashiach. The steps foot of the Messiah and what that is is that the Mashiach is so close that uh, you're so close to him that you can see his footsteps the imprint of his footsteps has not re uh, diminished you see we are now at the end of the Iqvis of the Mashiach the Iqvis of the Mashiach basically has started without uh, justifying it 1840 yeah 1840 we're not getting into why and so on we are now in 2020, right? And we are approaching the end of the Iqvasid de Mashiach. That's an important idea. <coughs> the next phase or sub-phase is called Aschalte de Geula, the beginning of redemption. Okay? And that primarily, okay, is the era of Mashiach ben Yosef. And then the third phase is called the Geula itself, Yemoysa Mashiach, the Messianic era. So there you are. You have the Iqbis of the Mashiach, you have the Aschalte uh, de Gula, the beginning of redemption, and then you have the Yemaisa Mashiach, which is the Messianic era itself. And all of that will proceed until the year 6000 on the Jewish calendar, right? Because the world will last 6000 years, and it will uh, end in the English year 2240. That's when it ends. That means the entire world, and really in many ways, the entire universe, is over and then the universe changes into a spiritual place but I'm not going to get into that and so on and then after a while uh, it's a couple of thousand years it becomes Olim Habo which is the, the future world and that is eternal but the main thing is that what we need is the Mashiach forget about the rest of the transformations and so on so we, we have now divided termination phase and we have an understanding basically of what that is. We are located where? At the end of Iqvasid the Mashiach. Now in order for that to happen, which means what happens at the Iqvasid the Mashiach, uh, there are several requirements that has to happen. Okay. One of them, and that, that's how you're going to understand, is that since the Tikkun is almost complete, the Jewish people 
must get Eretz Yisrael back. That's one of the things that have to happen. Okay? Um, <clears throat> the second thing, which I'm going to talk about these things, and each of these things I mentioned is going on now. That's why it'll give you a framework to understand. The second thing is the era of Rav. The Jews that are not interested in Judaism, really, uh, they believe that the uniqueness of Judaism is not the bond that the Jews have with God, which is the Torah. Their belief about Judaism is that Judaism is unique as a regular civilization. You know? Um, sure, the Torah is great, but so is Shakespeare. You see? So therefore, they focus on the culture of the Jewish people and the contributions of the Jewish people like any other nation. That's why when you go to many of the museums and all that, they all look like American stuff because they're all trying to Im imitate America because these things which are basically built in many ways by the era of Rav, uh, Jews who believe this, um, they imitate America. They Im imitate Western civilization, you see. <clears throat> That's their focus. So therefore, they must be terminated, the era of Rav. And uh, they are one of the greatest impediments to the messianic approach. And all three, these things have to happen. Now, in terms of Israel, Israel itself has to go through certain uh, phases itself. So one, of the, one phase is that Israel must become a land of security, or else nobody's going to come back to Israel. Many Jews will not come to Israel because Israel is, in many cases, obviously in a tremendous state of war. Even though Israel dominates, it doesn't make a difference. It's, very, it's a state of war, and many people will not come. Second thing which happens, has to happen to Israel, is prosperity. Israel has to become an incredibly prosperous place. That means the cost of living has to go down. You've got to get rid of the bureaucracy, the regulations. You've got to get rid of a lot of things. You've got to make Israel a user-friendly country. You know, where anybody can come to Israel, any Jew can come to Israel, and really make it in a very good way. You know, and, and uh, like they used to say, if you want to make a a big fortune in Israel, you got to come with a, excuse me, if you want to make a small fortune, you got to come with a big fortune, right? Uh, that has to change, or else Jews will not move to Israel, you know, and so on, you know. So these are the things that have to transpire as a hachana, as a preparation for an entry of Mashiach, you see? And therefore God has to be doing this kind of stuff. Very important idea to understand what, the, what are the prerequisites of things that must occur. And in many ways, that is what's happening so far. And I, and I will explain that and so on, you know. Uh, so, we can begin to focus on these, these uh, six items that I mentioned. Now, one of the items is that something has to happen in terms of spirituality. And that is unknown how God will do that. That is gonna be one of the greatest of all miracles. How God will bring his people back naturally, which is interesting, not miraculously, because everything you're seeing now is happening naturally, not miraculously, but that's for the, uh, uh, an upcoming future and so on. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned, you know, um, Israel has to get, the Jewish people have to get their land back. It's interesting, and it started. It started in uh, 1898 with Herzl, uh, without getting into that and so on. So all of a sudden, Israel found themselves back in their land after 2,000 years of exile. 
Now, it was quite natural, but it's a miracle. Because first of all, first of all, uh, Herschel was okay with Uganda. As the, uh, as the uh, just imagine if we were in Uganda with all those locusts running around, right? <coughs> but in any case, uh, uh, that's what he wanted, ultimately speaking. And of course, he changed his mind or whatever. And of course, he obviously got the land of Israel, which, which of course, that was the whole thing uh, it was all about, and so on, you know. <coughs> But at the end of time, in Iqbis the Mashiach, there's a very unusual event that occurred, and that's very important. And that is that, as I mentioned with a lot of the different lectures and so on, the concept of Esau, the brother of Yaakov. Esau, the brother of Yaakov, is an Ov, a patriarch. In fact, I mentioned before that Esau, the brother of Yaakov, is greater than Yaakov Avinu. That's what we see. Because the gematria of Yaakov is twice, the gematria of Esau is twice Yaakov with the Vav, and so on. So there's one of the Rishonim that says, had Esau done his job as a patriarch, he would have been twice as great as Yaakov Avinu. Very important idea. <clears throat> but in any case, uh, Esau wanted to do tshuva at the end, and his tshuva was a very interesting word. He said, Yehilachashalach. Let that which is yours be yours. You see, he says that at the end of Vayishlach. And Rashi says, what do you mean, that, let that which is yours be yours? Esau is saying this to Yaakov. You know, here he's coming to kill him with 400 guys. He winds up telling them, let that which is yours be yours, which is incredible. And what that meant is Esau was saying that all the blessings and everything that you took, it's yours to keep. I realize they belong to you and not to me. <clears throat> and therefore Esau was at the point of doing tshuva, but he didn't do it because Yaakov, for whatever reason, misread the signs. And therefore he didn't, uh, in many ways, had he given him Dina, his daughter, uh, then Esau would have done tshuva. So therefore, and I've mentioned this, that God says to Esau, because you want to do tshuva, 4,000, 3,000, whatever, 4,000 years ago, in the end of time, you will come back to tshuva, and you and Yaakov will restore your relationship, which means you will be a brother to Yaakov. It's an incredible thing. And that, that and, and, and therefore, you see that in many ways and so on, you know. But in any case, so Esau does tshuva to assist Yaakov. And the pasuk for that is, of course, is Rav Ya'avoyt Tzoir, that the older will serve the younger. And that is really the perfect relationship between Esav and Yaakov. Okay, what is the historical event of that? Obviously, did Esav come back? Yes. Did he do tshuva? Yes. Who is Esav? Trump. I'll just come right out with that. Donald Trump is a Gilgal, not of Esav but of Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, who was the emperor of Rome. Marcus Aurelius was a very interesting guy. He wrote a whole book on philosophy. It's called The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. A very bright guy. But in any case, he had an unbelievable relationship with Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Rebbe, the one who wrote the Mishnah, you see. Because uh, what happened was is that uh, they had a tremendous relationship of, uh, between him and, and, and uh, Rabbeinu HaKadosh uh, and, and the Gemara talks about it in, in Avayi Zara with just incredible, uh, uh, incredible terms the way it describes the relationship because 
Uh, Marcus Aurelius lived in Tiferia for a certain while as Roman Emperor, and Rebbe lived in Tiferia. So somehow they met, and they had this incredible bond. In fact, Marcus Aurelius, a very interesting individual, is responsible for the Torah of Kleinsville. The problem was in 180 CE, <clears throat> at that point, uh, Jews were becoming exiled. So Rebbe realized that the Jews needed to have a standard text. There was no real standard text. Each individual had their own notes about what they learned from their own Rebbe, Rabbi. So therefore Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rebbe, had to call a convention of all the Tanoim, those people who uh, were involved in the mission and so on, you know, to bring them together in a convention and come up with a standardized text called the Mishnah. Now he couldn't do that if the Jews were being persecuted and in a state of war. What Marcus Aurelius did, since he was the Roman Emperor, what he did is he allowed the Jews a tremendous peaceful reign. So Rebbe was able to call everybody, all the Tanoim together, and write the Mishnah, you see? And that's Marcus Aurelius' contribution. Can you imagine that we have the Torah, our Mishnah, because of the input of Marcus Aurelius Antoninus, a Roman emperor. And we know that Esav is Rome, as we know, right? Esav is Edom, Edom is Rome, Rome is Christianity, Christianity is Western civilization. Western civilization is Rome, is Esav, you see? So it's an astounding that a uh, descendant of Esav, Marcus Aurelius, is responsible for the Jews, Mishnais. You have no idea what kind of reward that is? It is beyond belief what that is. And of course, because he's Esav, you see, but I'm not gonna go into the whole thing uh, and so on. So therefore, Trump is a modern day Esav. He's a Roman emperor. In fact, the President of the United States is a Roman emperor. That's really what it is. In fact, he's more powerful than a Roman emperor and so on, you know. But in any case, you know, and what is the essential feature of Trump? What is it he does, you know? What he does in terms of the Jews is let that which is yours be yours. You see? Makes sense. That's exactly what he does. And he does it even against interest, which he shouldn't do. Because he wants to make peace with the Arabs, right? Instead, what is he doing? He's giving pieces of land to Israel, even though he doesn't even have a peace proposal, and he expects the Arabs to want peace. It's contrary to American interest, what he's doing. Yet he's doing it anyway, right? He gives, he makes the uh, Jerusalem the capital, which is a slap in the face to all the Arabs. Then he moves the embassy. Now, obviously, if the Jerusalem is the capital, then Israel is a nation. You don't have a capital without a nation, right? So he's really saying, Israel is yours. Then he says the Golan, right? Then he comes out with a statement that Israel does not violate any international uh, law by the uh, Shtachim, Judea and Samaria. We have you understand what this is. He is slow, and then, and then he comes out with this peace plan, which I will uh, mention in a, in a minute, you know, which is an unbelievable statement that let that which is yours be yours. Mm-hmm. You see, he is following the biblical uh, uh, directive. It's amazing when you think about that. And the question is why? Because that's Iqvis of the Mashiach, that Esau comes back in the end. At this time, right before Mashiach comes and begins to, begins to give Israel back all their territory, you see? 
and he, and he actually said, you can annex everything, right? Okay, so he put it on hold. But he obviously is giving Israel back the entire land of Israel, which is amazing. Now this is not by accident, this is divine, you see, because that's what his job is, and we are really at the end of time in that sense, you see, which is really, when you think about it, incredible. Now, therefore, the conclusion of this is that Esau, also known as Marcus Aurelius, also known as Donald Trump, right? J. Trump, J. Trump Donald J. Trump, yeah, <laughs> and so on. In fact, when you look at t Trump, he looks like uh, he's red complexion, got red hair, red ties. You know, it's just astounding how uh, close he is. And, and so he's got the characteristics of Ace of defiant, you know, really tremendously defiant. He loves pleasure. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole psychological profile of this guy. But um, <clears throat> in many ways, he is Ace of. But he's Ace of in love with the Jews. Literally, that's really what it is, I am telling you. He has an unbelievable affection for the Jewish people. And of course, God arranged that. In fact, you know what once happened, you know? He once went over to Ivanka, who was Jewish, right? She became Jewish, you know? And uh, he said to her, you know, I think I'm gonna become Jewish. So uh, she said, no, dad, no way, no way. So he said to Ivanka, well, what's the problem? Why can't I become Jewish? So she told him, what do you mean? If you become Jewish, who am I going to sell my chametz to? <laughs> Can't become Jewish, right? <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> uh, so th that, now you begin to understand, he's Esau of Yehili Choshaloch, that that which is yours be yours. And he's doing it, which nobody expected, just uncanny. It's just beyond uh, idea. Now, if he's a messianic figure, which he is, you know. In fact, I, 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 maybe you know the gematria. The gematria of Donald Trump, right, is gematria, exactly, 424, Mashiach ben David. Not that he's Mashiach ben David, but he's clearly in the partial of assisting the messianic process to move forward. And he, you know, he does not know this unless he decides to listen to this video, you know. <laughs> But he does not understand. He doesn't realize who he is. You know, there are people that feel that he has messianic, uh, 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 what do you call it, messianic uh, uh, mission and so on. You know, but uh, but to my mind, nobody understands the biblical source of this. You know, you can see can, many people say that somebody's a messianic mission and so on. But this is you can see from the Torah what is going on. And therefore, at the end of time, that's exactly what goes on in the Meshicha, that Esau has to come back to the Jewish people, you know. In any case, now, but if he's a Messianic figure, this is bad news for who? For the Sultan. Because the Sultan does not want him, right, to give Eretz Yisrael back to the Jews, because that is a Messianic process. So therefore, the reason why we are witnessing unbelievable opposition is because the Sutton is dying, that's why. And the Sutton does not want uh, uh, Trump to survive for obvious reasons, because Trump is moving the process forward and the Sutton, of course, cannot have that. And therefore, what does the, what does the Sutton do, right? Now, what's important also to remember is that 
Esau used to be, or still is in a certain sense, the major soldier of the Sutton. We know that from the Torah, where it says that Yaakov fought the Malach, and who's the Malach? He was the Sarish of Esau, the angelic being that was the angel of Esau. Who's that? The Sutton. Sutton himself is the Malach of Esau, you see. So Esau, for all these years, was his, was, uh, his, his agent, you know. The last thing the Sutton wants is that this agent should now do tshuva and help the Jewish people. Of course not. So the Sutton has called. So that's why you're witnessing an enormous opposition because it is satanic. So you're witnessing America having an unbelievable opposition, many people, right, uh, against Trump. A gut hatred, you see. And the idea to that, why there's such a gut hatred, okay, is because the Sutton is doing whatever he can to put in the minds of people to destroy Trump. Because Trump is furthering the messianic process, you see. So what you're witnessing is an incredible event. You are witnessing the Toiv Shebeisov, which is Trump, warring with the Ra Shebeisov, the evil part of Esav. Because Esav still retains, there's a part of Esav that is still evil, which is part of the satanic uh, 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 mission and so on, you know? So therefore, it's a civil war. That's really what you witness in America. You are witnessing a political civil war between the bad part of Esav that wants to retain its characteristics and the good part of Esav, which is Trump. And that's literally what's happening. However, what the Sutton does is he's calling out his major generals. Who are the major generals of the Sutton? The answer is the Erev Rav. Now, remember one thing. An Erev Rav is a person that does not believe in the bond, the Torah, in that sense. And they're not interested in it. They don't believe that it makes the Jews unique. You see, that's the Erev Rav. But the Erev Rav are not Jews. They are the leaders of the Jews. A Jew who believes that is an Amoritz. He's one of the people that, unfortunately, you know, forgot who he was, his uniqueness, and so on. The Erev Rav are leaders of the Jewish people, okay, that want to destroy the Torah bond between the Jews and God. So, we know that the Erev Rav, and they were responsible for the golden calf, for the Egel uh, Azov, the golden calf. So the Sutton has called out the Erev Rav to destroy Trump. Because that's his main guys. Who are they? Those are the Jews who try to destroy Trump. That's why they're all Jews. You look at it, you can't believe what's going on. Like a cabal of Jews, you know? Who do you got? You have this guy, Adam Schiff, he's Jewish. You know, you have uh, Jerry Nadler, he's Jewish. Chuck Schumer, he's Jewish, right? And then you have, uh, well, there's Bernard Sanders. Sanders is Jewish also. He's also Arab Rav, he's a communist. But he's Arab Rav, he hates, he hates the fact that he's Jewish. He's trying to escape that for years and so on, you know? And then you have, of course, uh, the, one of the greatest of the heir of Rav is George Soros, right? George Soros. He's the bankroll, right? They're all Jews. And these are the guys trying to destroy Trump. So the question is, why are all the Jews trying to destroy the guy? Because they are all heir of Rav. And the heir of Rav are the main soldiers of the Sultan. You see? They're the guys dominating everything. And so on. And it's not just in America, it's also in Israel, which I will talk about. But anyway, that's why you have all these guys of Jewish people. You know, one wonders, maybe Nancy Pelosi is also Jewish. 
Like, how did she get mixed up with this crowd? You know, and, and so on, you know. But in any case, the main idea is that that's why you have so many Jewish people uh, trying to destroy Trump. It's very interesting, and it's not a coincidence, because that's really, in many ways, what is going on and so on, you know. Now, so uh, you have this fight between the era of Rav and the Rosh of the evil part of Esav, against Trump, which is the Toiv of the good part of Esav, you know. But fortunately, you know, God is on the side, obviously, of Trump, because he beat them, you know, and they, they, and they, and they were tremendously, uh, in many ways, discredited and uh, destroyed and so on, you know. Uh, so this is the concept of, the, uh, of what's going on in terms of the impeachment. They try to remove this guy. They've been trying to remove this guy, not because of anything he did. They want to remove him because of who he is. Because they've been talking about removing him since he got elected. In fact, before the election. They've been talking about impeaching this guy before he did anything. Like, you know, it's like Trump could say to them, at least let me do something bad. You know, you guys want to get rid of me. You know, I didn't do anything yet. Like Trump says, you know, they decided to get rid of me, right, when I came down that elevator and announced I'm running for the president. You know, what does that show you? It's not what he does, it's who he is. But the question is, what do you mean who he is? What, what, what's so dangerous about who he is? And the answer is, he's a messianic figure. Now, they don't know that consciously. Of course not. But they know it spiritually, that's the Sutton telling him, you must destroy this, this guy. You see, <clears throat> you know. Now, yeah, look, there are, there are reasons why you could say, other than the spiritual reason, the reason why they hate Trump, and this is really the real reason, is because he's an existential threat to the Democrats. That's really what he is. Because they know in him, or intuitively, that he will defy them, and he will take them away from all their tremendous positions. Because they have been running the United States for years. And a guy comes in who's an independent, you know. And when a guy says, I'm going to clean up the swamp, he, they know they, that he means them, you know. But that's Teva. But deep down, the real concept is that it is a spiritual mission that they need to destroy him. Why? Because he is helping the Jewish people. He's Yehiluch He's giving everything back to the Jews. You see, without any real coaxing. I mean, who's forcing him? And it's against uh, U.S. interests, you see. And that's what's happening. Now, at the same time, you know, which is interesting, the Democrats trying to destroy him, of course, they fail, you know. And they don't realize themselves how bad they look. Because people recognize, well, what they're doing is psychotic. You have no charges against this guy. What do you want from the guy? And they're still looking to impeach him and so on, you know? Uh, so hopefully that what God is planning is this, is he's going to destroy the Democratic Party. What does that mean? By giving... <laughs> Why is that? Because it's not only that the Democratic Party is against Trump, you see, but because they have destroyed America. All the immorality that you see, the liberalism, the immorality, unethical, you know, this whole business of LGBT, whatever they call themselves, all of this is because of the Democratic Party. And not only that, all the infant infanticide, right, killing kids, 
right? And then they vote, you know, that you can kill a kid even when it's born already, within the first couple of hours, you can still kill the kid. What's blatant murder? It's evil. I wouldn't even hallow it by saying sick. It's evil. We're looking at a terrible, terrible evil and so on, you know? So I, I, what seems to be happening is God is saying, listen, I'm going to destroy you. How? Because I'm going to make your actions so obvious that nobody's going to vote for you, you see. So hopefully what that means is that Trump will then have not only the Senate, a greater majority, but he will take over the House and then Trump will be unleashed. To do what? He will be unleashed to do what? To give back everything to the Jews, which we'll see, right? The whole Eretz Israel, right? He will protect the Jews from their enemies. The EU, right? The UN, all those nations that hate the Jewish people, the Trump has been protecting them. Think about that. You know, Nikki Haley defied the UN, right? He defies everything. You see, Trump and so on. He's an unbelievable shield against the enmity of the nations of the world against the Jews. He's unbelievable. It's like a big brother. In fact, that's really what he is. Asa was the big brother of Yaakov. And that's exactly uh, what it is, you know. I, I, there's a very interesting incident with uh, the Rabbi of Poe. Remember, the, uh, they killed uh, a whole bunch of people in uh, San Diego synagogue, Chabad House, remember? So he invited, I think his name is Goldstein, he invited him to speak in the White House. And he spoke. And then somebody told me this, that after the speech, he went over to Goldstein and said, you know, I feel just like a brother to you. I said, wow. You know, it's like they say, he prophesied and he didn't even realize he prophesied. That's really what he is in his premius. Uh, of course, he's a goy, but that's what Esau is, you know, and so on. But that, that's really what he is. Because what he is doing for the Jews is abnormal. Never happened before. It's historical. And the incredible thing is he does it without any prompting. He just does it. Really? Because he loves the Jews. It's really astounding to watch this person. You see, you know. But in any case, uh, that seems to be happening. Now, out of nowhere, since he thinks he's the art of the deal, he's a great negotiator, right? He comes out with this peace plan. You know? Let's think about this for a minute. What is the essential concept of the peace plan? Okay. What we have to remember is what the peace plan really is. That, and this is why, in, in many ways, it'll never happen. That peace plan will never happen. But, what it did do is very important. It changed the underlying principle of Oslo. Because the underlying principle of Oslo is that, you know, the Arabs have a chilek in Eretz Israel, which is terrible that Israel agreed to that, that you have a legitimate claim to the land, which was terrible. And that's really what Oslo did. But what Oslo also did, and this was the underlying principle that the Americans always took, uh, understood, and that is that the burden of proof of peace is on the Israelis, right? The Arabs want peace, right? Of course they want peace, right? You know, ignore the fact that they're killing everybody, right? It's the Jews, we got, you got to prove you want peace. So the Jews always have to prove it by giving up land for peace, right? And all the insane ideas, you see? So the Jews have to keep bending over backwards again and again. Meanwhile, they're getting killed left and right. And nobody cares about what either Arafat is doing or Abbas or, you know, Islamic Jihad, or Hamas, we don't care. It's the Jews that have to prove that they want peace. Of course, that's classic anti-Semitism. That's what fuels it. 
especially with Obama and so on, you know. So along comes Trump and says, that's over with. Right now the Jews have to prove anything. You guys, the Arabs, have to prove that you want peace. He, that means he changed the game. He changed the entire framework of, of the uh, Arab, which is a very great thing. That's number one. The second thing he did is that this can go on forever. So he gave him a deadline, four years. Right? It's very important. In other words, either you pony up, as they say, either you join and we'll give you an Arab state, a two-state, right? Or forget it. I'm going to allow Israel to annex basically everything. What we realize is the peace plan is nothing more than a device that God is using for Esau to give back the whole land of Israel to the Jews. That's really all it is. Now, is, is, uh, is what's his name, Abbas, going to accede, you know, agree to this? Well, let's see. Here's what he has to do, right? One, he has to denounce terror. Number one. Number two, he has to denounce the payment to the terrorists, which he said he's never going to do. That's number two. Number three, he has to stop praising them and naming streets and squares after these guys. That's number three, right? Then number four, right? Not only that, but he also has to stop the textbooks, the educational system that the Jews, you know, Shahid and all that kind of stuff. He's got to do that too. Then number five, right? He's got to give up the right of return. Yeah. <laughs> number six, he has to act like a normal state. You see, right? He's going to do any of this. And then there's, uh, there's number seven, he has to declare Israel as a Jewish state. And he cannot do that because it is theologically impossible. The real thing that stops peace in the Middle East is not the Arabs. It's the Koran. Because according to the Koran, the Arabs, Muslim, Islam, cannot give up any lands right, that once belonged to the Arabs. That's why. So it is the Koran that is the obstacle. And they're not going to give up the Koran, they're going to throw it away. So therefore, peace is impossible based on the theology of the Koran. That's why it can never, never happen, you see. And besides that, it's like Arafat said, if I ever give them back, you know, what they want, you know, he said he'll be assassinated the next day. Abbas would be assassinated, you see. Then there are all other kinds of problems. So obviously, this can never be. It will never be, you see. Uh, so the, in the end, the question is, what's the point of all this? And the answer is, this is a device that God can allow, you know, it's politically correct, so to speak. It's a device whereby uh, the Arabs, are, uh, uh, where Trump can give back everything to Israel, to annex the whole place. A very important idea. But what is the reality of all this? And in a certain sense, it's unfortunate. What is the reality of all this? I will give you a marshal, an example. Imagine, right? You live in a house. Right? Some guy comes to the house, your house, knocks on the door, you open up the house, right? And you say, yes, what can I do for you? So the guy says, well, first thing you can do for me is get out of the house. It's mine. You are occupying my house. That's what the guy says, you know? And then you and him get into a fight. A fight means screaming at each other. He's saying, get out of my house. It's my house. You're occupying my house. And you who live in the house the same way, crazy? What do you mean it's your house? You know? It's my house. And you're screaming, right? And the guy says, well, 
he's saying it's his house, and you say, what are you talking about? You know, um, it's my house, so please. And all of a sudden, there's a real ruckus, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden, the neighbors of the whole block, they hear this, and they come out, and they walk over, and they come, you know, over and say, hey, there's so much noise going on here, you know? So they say, what's going on here? So what the, the guy, the owner saying, you know, so the guy who's claiming it's his house is saying, he's in my house. And the owner's saying, this guy's out of his mind, you know? And, and, you know, so all of a sudden the neighbors say, well, wait a minute, look, look, this is ridiculous. You're screaming at the top of your guy's lungs, you know? You're disturbing our sleep, you see? So do me a favor, give me a living room. Just give me a living room, that's all. Okay, so you keep part of the house, and this guy claiming that it's his house and you're occupying it, so give him your living room. You see? Right? Now what would you say to that compromise? It's insane! Well, I should give my living room because this nut job is claiming that his house without any proof whatsoever? You see? That's the exact muscle of what's happening. The Jews have biblical proof. How many times does it say in the Torah, the land of Israel is yours. In fact, it's the first Rashi in the Chumash where Rashi says, right? Why did God start with Bracious when he should have started with the first commandment? Because God says, you know, in the end of time, you know, the, the Goyim will come and say, it's our land, right? So what are you doing here? So God will say, and what the Jews will say, God created the world, it's his land, he decided to give it to us and take it away from you. Finished. He's the owner. You do whatever he wants. In other words, the first Rashi already talks about the legitimacy of the fact that the Jewish people own the land. Right? It's the same idea. So the Jews have biblical proof. That's the first thing. The second thing is they have historical proof. History knows that it was the Jews. Even the New Testament has Yeshu running around overturning the temple tables which he, you know, and so on, you know. Of course, it's all Kahanim. I mean, even the New Testament says that Jerusalem, Israel, belongs to the Jews. It's the Jewish temple and so on, you know. But historically, everybody knows all the, everything you find, all the coins. The whole archaeology is all about Jewish possession of Eretz Israel. They all know this, you see. So then how can these people claim? So the Jews have biblical proof. They have historical proof. They have legal proof. Why? Because the League of Nations said, and that was affirmed by Balfour, you know, and it was, it was, there was a conference in San Remo in Italy in 1923, that Israel belongs to the Jews, and that was legal. They made it legal, you see? So Israel legally owns the, the land of Israel. In fact, Israel really owns Jordan, except the British, who is responsible, you should know, for the Arab problem, they decided to take away Jordan and give it to the Arabs because they wanted the oil of Abdullah and they gave Israel this small narrow part of which Israel has. In many ways Britain is responsible because not, not only did Britain take away Israel from the Jews and gave four-fifths to Jordan which is illegal because the League of Nations mandate is recognized by the UN as legal. So that's number one. Number two, because Britain wanted the, the oil of the Arabs, so what the Brit British did is they, they wrote the white paper, 1938, which meant that Jews running away from Hitler, Yomach couldn't go to Israel. 
the story of the Exodus and so on, you know. And not only that, but they allowed any immigration of Arabs into Israel without any problem. They didn't even look, you see. So everybody, all the Arabs from Syria used to come to Israel. Why? Because the economy in Israel was much greater than in Syria and the other Arab lands. That's why there's so many Arabs here. They were invited in by the British. So the one who caused this mess is England, Britain, you see. And God therefore took it out on them, he punished them, because they used to be the world empire, and now they're a bunch of has-beens, basically, you know. What are they, a little island in the middle of the Atlantic and so on and so forth. That's the, that's the, that's the an oinish for what they did. I mean, I'm not gonna go more into that, but that's the problem started with the British. So therefore, the Israel has biblical proof, historical proof, and legal proof, and, and so on. Yet the world says, come on, give them something. Give them half your country, you know? Excuse me, you know? Could you imagine how much land the Arabs have? You mean you cannot take a million or whatever and put them in the Jordan? Which was originally, that's really what was supposed to be the Palestinians, is Jordan? Do you know how much land the Arabs have? So you gotta take a little country called Israel that's barely the size of New Jersey and you wanna carve it up and give Arabs half of it? It's insane, why? Because you don't like the fact that we're arguing and that's gonna jeopardize your oil supply. You see the embargoes and so on. Is this a reason to take away Israel from the Jewish people? You should know the world has committed and that's really what they are doing. They are committing a grievous sin because they know that what they are doing is illegal. That's really what it is. But in any case, that's what's happening. You have Ikvis and the Meshichah, where God is now restoring the land of Israel through Trump, back to the Jewish people. Very important idea. So that's why Trump came out with the peace plan. That's why there's an impeachment, you see. And that's why the Democra Democrats are <coughs> behaving it literally in a psychotic manner. That's what explains this, you see? Because remember, it's the Ikris and the Mashiko. Now, let's take a look at some other things going around the world. Brexit, right? What's the concept of Brexit? Now, I want to tell you something. There are three theaters which is very important to understand. One is America, and I just explained America, the impeachment, the Democrats, and the peace plan, and so on, you know? The second theater is Israel, which I will talk about. And the third theater to consider is the rest of the world. Now Brexit, what's the story with Brexit? You know, it looks like, okay, you know, they decided to break away from the EU, no problem. But let me tell you something. The EU is terribly anti-Semitic. We know that, terribly anti-Semitic. Now, what God is gonna do also is, as we get closer to the Messianic era, God is gonna perform what's called a tahara, purification he's going to begin to remove the evil of the world you see even before the Mashiach comes it's a very important idea in other words retribution and purification begins to happen now you see so if England leaves the EU do you realize that's probably the end of the EU because there are many countries in the EU that want out and the three major nations of the EU European Union is what is England, France, Germany. And England just left. That's, a, that's like a mortal blow to the, to the strength of the EU. So what we're witnessing is something interesting. 
is that this could be in many ways the beginning of the end of the EU and that is the punishment of the EU you want to be anti-Semitic I will dissolve your entire union and England leaving is the beginning of a dissolution of the EU you see because many other nations also want out because it's a disadvantage to belong as one you see so that's another thing happening then of course another thing happening remember this is that this is what's called the tahara the purification or the removal of evil slowly how God is slowly unraveling different nations well the next one is who is Iran and Iran is being dissolved Iran is slowly being terminated right we know that especially if the Trump our lost brother killed Soleimani you know you have no idea what a blow that is I don't know if he, I don't know if there's a comparison in America to Soleimani's position in Iran he was the boss he and the and what he called and Khomeini were tied at the hip as they say you know and he killed Soleimani in fact in fact Khomeini cried at the funeral of Soleimani could you imagine because he was his main guy he was like his hands that did everything and Trump well, batting an eyelash just took him out and finished you're witnessing a dissolution of evil and I'm not even going into the fact that Iran itself economically is dissolving because Trump is killing them economically you know they used to sell their the exports were 90 percent oil now it's down to 10 percent you have no idea how much money they do not have because of what Trump did and they're dissolving slowly you know, so ultimately they're going to do something desperate because they're really dying, you know. And uh, so that's the uh, 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 a second Tahara, you see. Then he also took out Abu Bakr from ISIS. You know, that, and ISIS is a major force of evil, you know. And Trump took him out also. And what a credit that he took out the two greatest terrorists on the planet, you see. Yeah. Now, then we come to China. There are two countries in the world that create an enormous instability in the world two of them you know one is um, uh, is Iran and they are dying the second is China we don't realize the evil of China we don't realize that because we uh, don't live in China you know communism is a terrible dictatorship on China but besides that China in many ways is gazlonum they steal an enormous amount of, uh, 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 there's an enormous amount of cyber theft. You can't believe how many trade secrets these guys have stolen. And you know, they, in, three years ago, they broke in the Chinese. In fact, they just indicted four, four of them. They broke into Equifax, you know, the credit card bureau. And they stole 150 million identities which means their name, social security, and birthday. And that is an identity theft of unparalleled proportion. That was Chinese. Now, how do you do something like that? You mean, what kind of gazeta that is? And I'm not even talking about the trade secrets that they force companies to reveal if you want to do business in China. And then the tariffs. They are incredible gazlanum. That's what they are. And we know gazela is one of the reasons why God destroyed the world right the waters of Noyak and so on you know and I'm not even going into the fact that how many Chinese used to kill their kids 
because there was a, a ban, you can't have more than one kid, whatever. They used to kill their, what is it, their girls, the boys, whatever. Enormous amount of ritzicha. What was that? Kill the girls. Kill the girls, yeah. That's one way of solving a problem, right? Created other problems. Yes, of course, you know. That's ritzicha, that's murder, you see. So we don't realize the evil of this country. Besides, China is aggressive. They're trying to take over the whole Asia Pacific, you know, and, and so on, you know. They are an evil force, you see. And God, since we are now in the Equus of the Mashiach, which is a process of Tahara, this is the beginning of what God is trying to clean up, the planet before the Mashiach comes. China is suffering with a virus that can destroy it, really destroy it. It's amazing that something as big as a nanometer, a little coronavirus, right, can destroy a country of 1.4 billion people. You see, but that's what you're looking at. You are looking at a tahara of the, of the world in order to prepare the entry of Mashiach where there's much less evil in the world. And what may happen, may happen, something very interesting. China is responsible, these guys at the top, the Communist Party, of the coronavirus outbreak. Because they knew about it, and we know in December, that they took the guy who revealed it, he was the whistleblower, he ultimately died from the disease, right? And they put him in jail. And they told him, you can't do this, you know? So had they acted then, there would be no outbreak, there would be no plague. We are witnessing a plague of unbelievable proportions. Right now, there are 70,000 people that are infected. Imagine, what do you do with 70,000 people? You can't put, there's no 70,000 beds, you see? And what they're doing is dragging them to centers where they put them in there, whether you have it or not. What's going on is just incredible, you know? And I heard that they're cremating 300 bodies a day. You know, when I, I, that, that means, and believe me, it doesn't mean those who are, you know, who are really dying. You, if you could be infected, they, can, they will kill you. It's very easy that they will kill you. They're going to wait around for you to get cured. <coughs> you know, the fact that you have the disease, you can give it. They'll kill you. Chinese have no compunction against killing anybody. So we are watching a, an incredible dissolution of China. And it's very possible that the Chinese will rebel against the Communist Party and destroy them. That would be incredible. Where Xi Jinping is going to go, you know, and the evil that these Communist Party commit to Chinese people will go, you see? And, um, and that could be really the basic reason for the whole coronavirus. But it certainly may destroy China economically. We don't even know they've closed all the factories. Can't believe that the, half the world's goods comes from China and their factories are closed. You know, Apple closes factory. You, we can't even imagine how much money is lost on a daily basis. You know, and they say 1,500 people have, uh, what do you call it, have died. I don't believe that. It's probably much more because they always lie. You see, we are looking at what used to be the Black Plague. That's Jinping calling me. <laughs> and he is saying, Hobrach Munis. <laughs> wow.
Anyway, but that's what it is. God just doesn't destroy a country. You remember the Black Plague, the Bubonic Plague? I don't know if you remember it, you know, obviously it happened in 13, uh, 1348 or whatever, you know. Why did that happen? That killed more than half of Europe, the Black Plague, the Bubonic Plague. And by the way, the plague came from China. That was the, uh, it went over China, over the Silk Route, and landed up in Europe. Why did God do that to Europe? You know why? Because of the Crusades. The Crusades killed, how many Jews did the Crusades kill? They destroyed pogroms, Jewish communities, you know? So God says, you want to do this to my people? You know, after four or five Crusades? I'll show you. And he wiped out half Europe. They don't come for nothing, you know? They come when, basically, when there's an enormous amount of evil, especially to the Jewish people. You know, you look at the Spanish flu in 1918, I think it killed like, I don't know, 70, 80 million people. Why? Because it came right after World War I. You know how many Jewish communities were destroyed after World War I? This is what happens, you see? So, especially now in Ikris of the Meshicha, there's what's called a Tahara process. And that process is now going on, and it's going to it's going to uh, take China and force them to kneel. And it can destroy them economically. 15% estimated mortality rate from the coronavirus. 15%. Estimated right now. That's a very high, very high, you know. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a major, it's a major destroying force. And like I'm saying, there are two countries in the world that are responsible for the basic instability of the world. You see, Iran, which is dying, and now God has taken care of China. And what this may mean also is the end of the Communist Party, because they're going to take it out on these guys. All this economic, we don't even know the economic disaster, because all the factories are closed. They're losing billions of dollars every day. Sure, imagine uh, Apple is closed, and I heard that Hyundai it just closed its plant. Also, it's unbelievable. And, uh, of course, that's going to affect the economy of the world, but certainly China. So that's an understanding of China. It's a Tahara process. Before the Mashiach comes, the world has to be rid, in many ways, of the evil in the, that goes on in the world, you see. So you have that. Now, the Arab states have been destroyed. Many of them are failed states. You know, you have uh, Egypt. You have Libya. You know, uh, you have... Uh, you know, Yemen, these are all basket cases, you think about that, which means that God has destroyed Yishmoel. Which is amazing, because he did it without Israel having in any way to go to war. Trump took out Iran, and Israel does nothing, they don't have to do anything. You have any idea what that is? Big Brother came along and took out Iran. You see, what a chesed that God does for the Jews, you don't even have to spend any money, you see. And, and that's basically what he did with these guys. So the Arab states are gone. Really, they're gone. They're the, the power of Yishmael, and especially what God did, which is very interesting, is that America is the greatest exporter of oil and oil producer. You know, so that's the end of the oil dominance of the Arab people, because America now produces all the oil. Israel now is going to be one of the greatest producers of gas. You know, and with the uh, Leviathan fields and so on. You know, was that out of nowhere? No, because what we see is the diminution of Yishmael. That's basically what, you, what you're really looking at in, in, uh, in this sense, you know. Especially we know that there's a tremendous drive to make electric cars, which won't even need oil. So the usage or the need for oil is severely diminishing. Now I also, I heard recently that 
Saudi Arabia and the Emirates, their oil is being depleted. They're running out of oil. And in about 10 years, they will have run out of oil, basically, which is incredible. Their economies are based on oil. 95% of the money that they make is oil, you know? So you can imagine if Saudi Arabia has no oil anymore, then it's a nothing, it's a desert community, you see. And uh, which is also very interesting, so that, that really is diminishing the power of Ishmael substantially. I mean, what's 10 years? 15 years, it's nothing, you see. But it's also interesting is that these countries must change their economy or else they're finished. The handwriting is on the wall. So what that means is that they have to get close to Israel. Because Israel can help them enormously, enormously in terms of economy, economy high-tech, medicine. I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer, you see. And I'm sure that Saudi Arabia and the, and the United Arab Emirates and so on are fuming against Abbas. Because they want to get close to Israel. So they have to toe the line, you know, we're really Muslim and so on, because they don't want to be assassinated in their country. But really, they don't want this nonsense. You know, the Arab situation, the, the uh, Arabs and so on, the Palestinians and whatever, is, a, is a, really, it's a, it's a non-entity now. Nobody cares. It's gone. People want to get on with their lives and move on, you see. So they certainly want to move on to Eretz Israel. So we see that's happening. So you take a look at what's going on around the world. Either it's all about Edom protecting the Jews against their enemies, and Edom or Trump giving the land back, like I said, and the peace process is nothing more than the way to do it, you know. Or the, other, the second theater is the world itself, where enormous amount of evil countries are dissolving. Very important idea. It's all because the entry of Mashiach. Then the next country, of course, is Israel. Now the problem with Israel is the Erev Rav. You know, the Erev Rav is that, and like I say, you know, as long as Netanyahu is Prime Minister, the Jews will never do tshuva. It's that simple. Of course he will accommodate the Haredim. Fine. But that's only because he needs them as a coalition. And even now that's not helping him and so on, you know. But that a leader, God expects a leader of the Jewish people to promote Judaism. Not to stand aside and say, okay, I need you for a coalition, so therefore, you know, I'll do what you ask. Excuse me, you need to do it, not them, because you're the leader. You see, this is what God expects. If you are a leader of the Jewish people, you, that's why God had so many what's called complaints and tainas against the Jewish kings. Remember the old Jewish kings? You know, all of them, especially Menashe and so on, they destroyed the Jews. Uh, because God says, you're the king, the buck stops here, as, as Harry Truman used to say. You need to help, you need to promote religion, Judaism. You need to bring me back to the people. You need to bring Torah back to the Jews, not accommodate some other party for political reasons. So he's an heir of Rav. You know, he's, he's not as bad as the other guys, you know, but he's an heir of Rav uh, because he's completely negligent and derelict and his responsibility, as far as God is concerned, in bringing the Torah back to the Jews. Because it's desperate. You know, there's one point, I read a an article. There's 1.5 million public school kids. I don't know if you know that. Public school, right? 1.5 million kids. Okay. They don't have much Jewish education, obviously. In fact, they gave, a, they gave out a test once to Israelis. And they said, we want to give you a sentence completion. 
What was the sentence completion? You know, we give part of a sentence, you gotta fill out the rest. So the first part of a sentence was Shema Yisrael. And they said, please complete the sentence. Hardly anybody could complete the sentence. You believe this? Shema Yisrael. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows you what goes on. So what they do is they have one or two courses, right? You know who's in charge of the courses in the public school system for 1.5 million kids? The Reform Movement. It's called the Hastings Institute. And they are teaching pluralism to these kids. Pluralism means that, well, there are many forms of Judaism. There's Reformed, there's Conservative, maybe Reconstructionist. This also happened to be Orthodoxy. You see? But how do you do that? In fact, they introduced a course or some type of a program, right, that will tell the kids the rewards of keeping Shabbos. And guess what? They rejected it. Too much religion. It's incredible to read that article. You can't believe what you're reading. That means what you're looking at is 1.5 million children, which is the basis of Judaism. These are the next generation are going to be taught pluralism in terms of Judaism, which is worse than not teaching them anything at all. Because if they think that there are many forms of Judaism, they're going to say, oh, I heard about this, but go prove your, your, your aspect of religion is correct. Uh, you don't call this an era of Rav? Do you have any idea what the Achrayas, what the responsibility of Netanyahu is? And the incredible thing, incredible thing about this, and it's really terrible, but it's a public record, the one who signed off on this, on the reform movement's ability to control the education in the public school, is Naftali Bennett. Yeah. He was the education minister. He signed off on this. Which is, yeah, yeah. But it's really terrible. Therefore, they must go. Uh, you know, it's no, the greatest ikov, the greatest obstacle to the Messiah, to the Mashiach, is the ear of Rav. We don't realize how much of an obstacle they really are. You see, and before Mashiach comes, and I'm talking about a whole reversal of this, to bring the Jews back to the Torah, which God says is going to happen because of the whole messianic era and that's why I started off this whole Shia with the real spirituality of a messianic era it's all about Ruchnias it's not about anything else of course there's a lot of great things that accompany it you see so therefore they have to go and what you are witnessing now in terms of the elections isn't it strange for the first time in history right they try to put a coalition together twice failed right and not only that, as I, uh, I haven't spoken previously, not only that, but that's the first time in history, first time in history that a sitting prime minister has been indicted. And he is now indicted. In fact, he retracted his immunity and immediately Mandelblit got him indicted. So you're looking at a person that failed twice, he's been indicted, which is unheard of. How in the world can he run for prime minister? It's unheard of. I'm, and I'm not even referring to his guilt or his innocence or what the crime is. But he will be so busy defending himself, he's got no time to be a prime minister. He's got three cases against him. Time-wise, it's absurd for a man that's indicted on three crimes, no matter what they are, to be able to run as a prime minister with so many decisions that have to be made on a daily basis. The Likud is insane. How do you do that? I'm not going into if he's guilty or innocent or the nature of the crimes. I'm not going into that. Uh, but he's got to defend himself, right? And how can he do that if he's running prime minister? You know what kind of decisions he's got to make on a daily basis? 
when all day he's going to be thinking, okay, I got, I got to talk to my lawyers, I got to make court appearances. Of course not. Yet they won't give him up. Is it the Tanyo they won't give him up? Is it the Likud? No. It's the Sutton. His main guy is the heir of Rav. He doesn't want them, just like he doesn't want Trump. So what you're looking at, impeachment in America, the equivalent of impeachment in America, is really what? Is the inability of the heir of Rav to put together a government, you see. Uh, and for whatever reason, God is allowing this to continue, because their time is not yet up. But slowly it's dissolving. In fact, in two weeks, we will see what happens, you know. And the, the worst case scenario is Gantz. Gantz will destroy Judaism. Why? Not because he's, a, he's an anti-Semite. No, he's not against Judaism. But Gantz is for everybody else. Everybody. Means you want to have uh, buses on Shabbos? No problem. You do what you want. Uh, you want to convert uh, in a, a non-Halakha conversion? No problem. You can convert. You want to get married? No problem. Let the Reform Rabbi marry you. You see, Gantz is what's called a cowboy. Everybody's okay. You see? Uh, but could you imagine if you have a city that has Chil Shabbos, where you can get married by anybody, you see, as long as they have the name Rabbi in front, right? Or you can convert, become Jewish by a Reformed guy, right? And you have all of this. And not only that, what about kosher meat, treif meat, and so on? Chil Shabbos is rampant, right? Do you know that nobody will ever give this up? A guy who can go to, you know, go to a restaurant on Shabbos, go to a movie on Shabbos, do whatever he wants, right? He's not going to give it up, you know, after, uh, with a new government. You know, once you get the cat out of the bag, forget it. You never get that guy, uh, you know, the, kid, the cat back in. Once you've given the ability of people to drop all semblance of religion, they're not going to allow you to reverse it. Of course, it's human nature. So you have a guy like that, Gantz, he'll destroy Judaism. He is the worst of the heir of Rav, literally. He can, no, you cannot do more damage than that guy if he gets in, you see. For all from a Torah perspective. I mean, he may be a nice guy, I don't know who he is. You know, he may be a nice guy, you know, you could talk to him, have a conversation with him. But that's, that's totally irrelevant. I'm talking about spirituality. I'm talking about that the Jews need to have their Torah. And from that standpoint, he is what? He's toxic to Judaism. Now, Netanyahu is the same thing. Not because Netanyahu actually is more religious, whatever that means, in terms of himself, because he does believe in the Torah, I think. I don't know myself. But anyway, but the problem with Netanyahu is he's the leader, and it's his responsibility to bring Torah back to the Jews. That's his responsibility, and God is going to hold him up to that. He has no idea what he's, when he stands in judgment, what God is going to say. Now, it is true that he has done some, you know, really some very great things. No question about that. But when you think about that, if you ask God, well, what's the greatest thing I can do for you, right, to give you real joy? And the answer is, make people Jewish, religious, Torah. That's where it's at. It is not I who say this, right? It's Moshe Rabbeinu. Every fourth Pasuk is where Moshe Rabbeinu says, and you will observe the commandments, isn't it? You ever hear how many times Moshe Rabbeinu says, Ushmatim is mitzvahs? Over and over and over again. Like he never stops. Like it's almost an obsession, you know? Why is he saying this all the time? Well, he says, and you will observe the commandments, the chukum and the mishpatim, and everything like that, because that's the key. That's what God wants, you see? But if you're a leader, you need to do this. So we are watching an incredible thing taking place. 
it looks like the Israeli government is dissolving. I mean, there is no government, really, but it's dissolving. This is what's happening. You see, it's almost like God is saying, you know, you could do whatever you want. You know, you can have as many elections as you want, no problem. But you're not going to have a government. So it will be fascinating to see what happens in two weeks, you see. And I hear now that the, the election committee, you know what they're doing? They're already deciding that you have to have a fourth election. They already know the third election is finished. They actually have a date. A week before Rosh Hashanah is the date of the fourth election. Uh, could you believe this? Because they expect there to be a fourth election. That means Israel will have been without a government basically for two years. Now what is interesting is the pressure. You ever have a government like Israel without a government for two years? Because even after an election, then everybody has to put a coalition together, right? And there's a whole fight. Each guy has what, 28 days or whatever, right? I mean, like, it takes months, even after the election, to have a coalition, you see. So you're going to look at a government, Israel, that doesn't have a government for two years. And they're already dying because there's no budget. People need money. You see, the military needs money. The economy, it's incredible that there's no budget. Uh, because there's no government, so they can't, it's a caretaker government, so they, therefore they, can't, they, they cannot uh, do anything in that sense. Which, when you think about it, is insane. And not only that, God has added a new pressure. And I hold that's the reason. What is that? That Jared Kushner said, you cannot annex unless there's a government. That's what he said. Amen. And everybody's dying to annex. So there's a new pressure. Wait a minute. You mean we're, gonna, it's, we're not going to have another government for six months more? You see? It's already February. We're not going to have a government until November. And they're all dying to annex. You see? Because they all want that as a credit, you know? So that's a new pressure. So could you imagine, you think people are going to go vote a fourth time? I mean, insane. People say, I'm sick and tired of this. You know, this, this, is, this is absurd. You know, it's, a it's an exercise in futility even to go to a ballot box. Because we know what's going to happen. There's going to be a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh. Right? You know? And then the topic of conversation with everybody is going to be, so, when do you think the 80th election is going to take place? That's going to be the topic of conversation. Right? And you want to know something? The governor of the Bank of Israel said that he estimates that the three elections cost 10 billion shekel. That means each election costs approximately over one billion dollars. They don't have that money. In fact, they said they're going to raise taxes. So not only you won't have a government, no budget and so on, right? Everybody's going to have to pay more tax. Could you imagine how desperate people are going to be to have a, uh, a, a government? So I'm hoping what will happen is that they'll realize something. The only way to break the stalemate, you know what that is? There's only one way to break the stalemate. Or this will go on forever, you know? The only way to break the stalemate is you got to get rid of Netanyahu, because nobody wants him. Gantz will not sit with the guy. Liebman certainly will not sit with the guy. He's the Ikov, you know. I, it, the fact that he is running, it stops everybody from forming a coalition. So the real thing is he's got to wise up and say, listen, I'm, he's about to be, you know, he's going to have to be indicted and go to court and all that. He's taking a terrible chance. Why didn't he get smart and say, listen, what do I need this for? He said, I've already been Prime Minister for more than 10 years. I've already broken the records, right? Let me retire. I'll retire, and guess what I'll do? I'll go around making speeches and make 250 grand a speech, like everybody else. And I will retire with my legacy, right? My legacy will be intact. 
because he's going to make a deal with Rivlin. Rivlin already said, I'll pardon you. You see? Which is great. So he can retire with all the covet of what he's done. You know, right? One of the greatest prime ministers, right? His legacy will be intact. He'll make a fortune of money because he's considered a great statesman, right? And everybody's going to pay him 250 grand for a speech, right? And so on. What does he need this for? It's a giver. It's arrogance. He can't give up the prime, the, the, uh, prime ministership. It's arrogance. But wisdom would say, hey, get out. Get out while you're clean because you've already been indicted. And if you get convicted, it's jail time. The conviction of this is seven years for bribery and so on. Maybe he will wake up and say, what do I need this for? You know, especially if in this election he can't put together a coalition. Then what? Three Three attempts to put a coalition, and in each one he fails. You know how bad that looks? That destroys his image of invincibility. That's part of the problem. People think that Tanyo is invincible, and they're all afraid to vote against him, because they think he'll survive, and he'll come after me, right? He'll take away my ministership, and all that. That's really why, because they're all afraid of him. It's fear that, because that, 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 anybody with Seichel would say, this doesn't, make, this doesn't make any sense. You already failed to put together a coalition twice, and you're indicted. And now if he fails again the third time, what, what are we, crazy here? What do we need this guy for? You know, take your glory and, and, and move on, you know, into the annals of uh, the great prime ministers of Israel, and so on, you know. Uh, so I'm hoping that that's what will happen. And as a result of that, hopefully they're going to look around for somebody else, because Rivla has the authority to do that. And hopefully they'll look at a guy, Gideon Saar, and say, okay, look, you put a coalition together, and I think you can, and he will be the first prime minister in Israel that has been elected prime minister without one vote being cast. Now that would be, that would be what's called a Purim gift. <laughs> because Purim is v'nahapechu. The essence of Purim is v'nahapechu. What is a v'nahapechu? Haman was incredible, the grand vizier, and within three days he was dead. He went to that party with Esther, thinking, wow, I'm the only one that Esther invited. Could you imagine who I am? That I'm a beloved by the king and queen, right? Three days later, he's hanging from the tree that he prepared for Mordechai, right? What is that? Only God can pull that off. It's impossible. This can't happen normally, uh, you know, naturally, you know? That's v'nahapoichu. Trump is a v'nahapoichu, right? When he came out of that elevator and said, I'm running for uh, president, right? Everybody said, that's great, because you are going to provide the comic relief. <laughs> You're going to be the comedy. You know, now we can all get, get, get a kick out of this. Everybody laughed. Him, prime minister, uh, president, and he beat them all. That's why God does something. And I once said, there are three psukum that refer to God, right by the messianic era. Because you see that in by Yitzhiz Mitzrayim. Again, Egypt, you know. The first Pasuk is, right, where it says, where it says, Evan Mo'aswa Boinim, tell him, the rock, Evan Mo'aswa Boinim, the rock that everybody despised became the cornerstone. That's a, mir a miracle. The cornerstone, the stone that everybody despised, Evan Mo'aswa Boinim, the builders despised, that became the cornerstone. It's the nest. The second Pasuk, right, is where it says, Hisiyatsu Uru'u, stand back and watch, it's Yeshua Sashem, the salvation of God, by the Kriya Samsov. And God said, listen, 
And don't worry. Watch what I do. That means that's a v'nahapichu. And it was. Think about that. The Jews are with their backs at the sea. In front of them is the whole Egyptian army. I mean, read it to select, right? They're finished. They don't know how to fight. They've been slaves for 210 years. Not only that, what weapons do they really have? They were doomed. And God said to Moshe, right? Watch what I do. You see, and it says, Hashem yilochem yilochem. V'yatem tachrishon. I will fight for you. And God all of a sudden just wiped them out. It was unbelievable. It's probably one of the greatest turn of events ever known. Where the Egyptian armies, the armies, the greatest, one of the greatest armies in the world, goes after, you know, whatever the amount of people, a couple million Jews and so on. It was clearly was going to slaughter them, you know, and, and so on, you know. And not only did they fail to do that, but they all died in the Yamsuf. The truth is, when you think about that, it was insane. The Yamsuf split. Why would anybody go into a sea that is being held up by God? Right? It doesn't, God just wiped you out ten makas, right? And you're going to go into the sea that He is holding you up. You see? Why would, well, it got to be insane for that. But they had no free will. God made them go into the sea. And of course He drowned the whole Egyptian army. And then it's also the Medrash says he, he killed everybody else in Egypt that lived. It was a slaughterhouse. Death to the Egyptians. That's what happens in the end. And we're witnessing that in terms of a tahara and so on, you know. But uh, this is a psukum. That's what happens in the end, you see. <clears throat> so it's very possible there's going to be a vanahapechu on the era of Rav. Because the era of Rav is the last klipa, as they say. It is the last force that is anti-Torah. And it is destroying the ability of the Jewish people to reunite with God and His Torah. And that's clear like that, you see. So hopefully, this in two weeks' time, uh, we will see the the uh, the end of the of the era of Rav, uh, and, and so on. You know, and that is truly the beginning. That will begin. That will be the end of the Ikvusa de Mishicha. And then right after that begins the Aschalta de Gula. That's the beginning, when the Mashiach Ben Yosef is released from his prison. Okay, and he begins to become more and more spiritual, slowly, because the Jews cannot tolerate this individual doing his thing, too holy. So they therefore will increase in spirituality while he increases in spirituality, you see. It's a simultaneous growth. That's how God solves the problem. You see, if he would have come in his full battle unit, you know, full holiness, it would have been terrible. But since he, since he emerges from prison, and they emerge, the Jewish people, from being uh, slaughtered by the era of Rav, and so on, imagine 1.5 million kids being taught, you know, that reform Judaism is okay. It's unbelievable. What a, that's an ebud, a destruction of the entire next generation. We cannot even believe what that means for the next generation of Jews. You know, it's, it's just beyond belief. You know, in any case, <clears throat> oh, and I think I, I, I don't know if I, did I mention this, that they want to introduce a program of the rewards of keeping Shabbos, and they nixed it. I said that. Yeah, okay, and they nixed it because it's just too, too much religion. Anyway, <clears throat> um, but then we'll begin the Aschalta de Gula. So, Mashiach Ben Yosef will begin to grow, will begin to grow, and it'll be miraculous, it'll be a Vinahapachu, and therefore the Gula itself will begin 
which is uh, which is astounding. And if you want to have some type of a timetable, all right, like wow, when, right? So the Zoya, right? The Zoya says the following. It's in the Zoya Raya Mehemna, which is a section of the Zoya. It says that Tchis Hamesim, which begins after Mishak Ben David, not Ben Yosef, right? It says that it will take place after Ben David comes, but it will take 210 years to fully wake up and resurrect all the Jews. Because every Jew will get up based on how sinful he was. The more sinful, the longer it takes to get up. In any case, it says 210 years. Now, we know that the world ends in the English year 2240, right? That's the end of the world, including the Messianic era. If you subtract 210 from 2240, what year is it? 2030. That's less than nine, that's less than 10 years from now. Isn't it? Yeah. That means according to that Zoyha, Mashiach ben David will be here by 2030. It's amazing. Right? What does that mean? What has to happen before? What happens before, right? Israel has to get all the territory back, right? Everything. The Jews have to be reunited with their Torah, right? The whole world has to turn over. Iran has to be finished, you know, and China has to be subdued, you know, and Trump has to become tremendous and, and so on, and, 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 and all this. And Israel has to rise amongst the nation, which it is, in an stupendous way, which it is right now. You see, there's going to be a world change literally an order a world change in terms of the order of the world in less than 10 years that is why you are seeing things with unbelievable acceleration like every day you wake up there's something new you know like Trump's tweet <laughs> like what did he tweet today you know and then they, you know and so you know uh, that's why every day you see new and new things. It's accelerated. What, what happens in one year today took, probably took 300 years in the olden days. You know, in terms of it was much more stable. Because we are rapidly rushing toward the end. And that basically is, is, seems to be what's happening. So let's hope, right? Let's hope that we are facing the end of time when all the evil will be subdued and destroyed. And there will be only a world of not only of honesty and decency, right? A world of tremendous uh, 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 goodness and health and charity and chesed and so on. But a world of unbelievable uh, Torah and spirituality. But most of all, a world in which the Jewish people will be reunited with God himself. Thank you. Any questions? <laughs> the only question, you can ask me anything you want, but do not ask me who the Mashiach is. That's the next year. Yeah, go ahead. You know, you talked about China and how, how the whole the, the coronavirus, which they've renamed, is called... Uh, yeah, whatever, yeah. Right. So, you know, you say that they can destroy the Chinese economy. Sure. Most of the world yes. is dependent on China. On China. Correct, yeah. Most products from the world come from, are imported from China. Yes, that's true. And how is this going to... Because it's a part of, it, it's a punishment to the materialism of the world. So this can destroy the, the world economy? Uh, well, it'll certainly set them back. Yeah, yeah. Um, what you're looking at is a tahara. A tahara means a purification or, you know, a clean, let's say it's called a clean-up job. 
you know, once it's unleashed. What you're looking at now is what's called in uh, Torah language, Idon Rizcha, a time of severe boiling judgment. The world is now going through a period of tremendous judgment, which means against evil, you see. And that's why you're seeing the dissolution of many, many things. You know, Democrats have lost Iran, China, the Erev Rav, you know, uh, there are so many countries going through terrible times. You're looking at a, a tremendous time of judgment against evil, not against good, you see. And that is truly messianic. It's a clean-up job. It's what it is. But you're right. Uh, but that will be against the world because the world has become severely materialistic, pleasure-oriented, you see. And spirituality is becoming less and less. They took a poll in America where uh, at least 10% of the population uh, is now not, not interested in religion. It's, it's diminishing. It's actually diminishing, yeah. So God has to put brakes on it, as they say. So by doing this, he, he, hopefully people wake up and say, what in the world is going on? You know, all of a sudden we don't have... I mean, imagine Apple closed. That means there's no smartphones being produced, you know. So as long as they have stock, one thing. But once they run out of stock... There's no smartphones, you know? There's no cars. I heard a Hyundai closed their plant, you know? And not only that, not just Hyundai, but I heard also Europe says they're running out of car parts, obviously made in China. So could you imagine what's gonna be right now, but in a couple of months, you can't buy a car because there are no cars. And then until they get up working and so on. Yeah, it's a punishment for the entire world in general. Because they're not allowing their workers to leave their homes to go to- Of course. Yeah, that's why the factories are closed. Nobody's showing up. You know, the only one who shows up is the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that in the Hong Kong protests that they've been having since June, only at the end of November, they started with huge signs in the crowds, in Chinese and underneath, that said, heaven will destroy the CCP. Heaven. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that's one of the reasons for this. Is that the, because the, the China is one of the last of the countries that is really communist. Even Russia is not communist. Russia is just a dictatorship under Putin. But Russia is not communist. China is. And, and that's a tremendous evil. You know, that's a tremendous evil. They also have this organ harvesting. 90,000 people a year whose organs are ripped out. Yeah, they also have a lot of abductions, kidnapping of uh, children and so on. I mean, I don't even know all the stuff goes on in China, but it's really a bad place. Yeah? Do you really think that Gideon Tsar would bring more Jews, the Jews closer to God than, than Bibi? I want to tell you something. It's not that he will do it, okay? But he will be open toward that suggestion, and he will allow uh, one of the, you know how you can bring Jews back to God? I'll tell you. It's amazing how simple it is. Not by compulsion. That's the wrong way. I want to give a whole shear on this. The way to do that is to give all the care of organizations money because they're very successful. You see, their problem is they don't have money. But what happens if you give each of these organizations millions of dollars? Leiv Lachem, Arachim, you know, uh, whatever, Eshetora, Yibone. Uh, I, I need some commission on that. <laughs> uh, right? Uh, the, um, yeah, if you give them money, the, as it is, they do fabulous jobs. I mean, take a look at an organization called Shufu. Right? 
Shuvu has great schools. Many Israelis want to send their kids to Shuvu because there's no drugs, there's no guns. You know, it's a, it's a great place, you know. Shuvu has tremendous problems fighting the government to get a building and all that, you know. But what happens if a, uh, if a government was promoting these places by giving them money and not standing in their way? In other words, you're not forcing people to be observant at all. But if you bring somebody to Torah, guess what? The Torah will light his fire. That's what the promise is in, in the Talmud, you see? And it's not only that, what happens if you introduce Judaism into the public schools? Why not? Why can't they introduce, you know, a, a, they, they do that in every school in the world. You go to China, guess what? You're going to learn all about Mount Tzu, right? Every country in the world introduces their values and their ideologies. So why don't they do it here? Here you can't find, you know, Arabs, they all of them learn the Quran. You know, and the hadith and all that kind of stuff, you know. It's only in the era of Rav that they don't touch anything Jewish. So you could change the whole Israeli society, I guarantee you, in five years. That's all it is. Give them money but, and promote it. Don't serve as an obstacle. And you'll be amazed. And I want to tell you something. If you do that to Israel, right, or again, not by compulsion, right, then this will spread to the rest of the world, even America, yes. Because people look at Israel as a model. That's right. And remember one thing. There will be Shaita Dishmaya. Heaven, divine assistance. Because once something is redemption, then God will assist. That's the most important element of all. Yeah, the Jewish people can change, I hold, in five years. But you think you don't sorrow to do this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, two things. Could you comment on the explosion of anti-Semitism worldwide and how it relates to Shia? And two, um, are we still looking towards the potential of Gog and Magog, or has that taken place? Okay. Question one. Okay. That's interesting. Um, they just had a Holocaust forum, 75th anniversary for the liberation, right? Do you know something interesting about that? Over 40 dignitaries showed up. That's historic. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Two things. One, is that this is a precursor to the Mashiach. Because when the Mashiach comes, all the nations of the world will send their kings and prime ministers. Because the Jews have done the Tikkun. Right? That's what it says in the Navi. And it says in the world, the world will recognize that I am God. I, more than that, I, I sanctify the Jewish people and I am in their midst. Who's not going to want to come to Israel and bow down before all, all these tzaddikim? So you're looking at a precursor, aren't you? That's really what happened. And the second thing I believe is God, God just did a tremendous chesed for the goyim. You know what that is? Because in the end of time, once the end of time arrives, God is going to come after the nations of the world for all the evil they've done against the Jews, the Holocaust, the, or everything. So you know what God did? He says, okay, I'm going to give you guys a chance to do tshuva. How? Let's see who will come to the liberation of Auschwitz and say that they regret what they did. That's a half a tshuva. To regret something already is on the path to tshuva. So what God is doing is very interesting. He's enabling the world nations by their representation, by their prime ministers and all that, to come to an Auschwitz forum, right? That's a charato. So that's a tshuva. 
So that's the chesed. So when the judgment day comes, it won't be as severe. God, you see? That's, so that's one reason why. The second thing is so therefore God is saying, okay, you came to here, you want to have karat, you want to regret what you did, fine. So here's what I'm going to do. Talk is cheap. I'm going to allow anti-Semitism to rise in your nations. Let's see what you do now. Test. That's part of the reason. Yeah. That's part of the reason. But anyway, those are the two ideas I would share with you. Yeah. You spoke about money for cure. Yeah. It, all the broom Jews who have Amazon businesses in the States, this is like millions and multi-millions of dollars being hurt by the China issue and they give a lot of has a lot of stuff for Yeshivas and it's just it's like I mean, I mean they're suffering. I mean they're gonna lose a lot of money. You should know one thing. There's a Gemara that says if a plague comes to the city, right? Then once the destroyer, the Malachamovas, is let loose, right? then you got to get away from the city because he will come after you and destroy you also even if you, it is a Jewish city why? because here's the rule okay uh, as long as you're not judged you're safe even though you've done a, not you personally but even though a person has done many sins he's safe but the problem is sometimes when judgment period arises right then automatically you're judged if you're in that place if you're in a place of a sakona, right, then automatically everybody is judged. Now, if you have nothing against you, right, in your uh, dossier, right, nothing will happen to you. Uh, but many people have terrible sins that they've done, of, of which they've never been punished. There's no atonement because they've never been judged. There's no opportunity. The problem is you are now in a locale that everybody's being judged because it's a dangerous place. And therefore, all of a sudden, they pull out your file and say, hey, this guy's Chayav Misa. Or this guy did a terrible sin and he's got to have his Panasa reduced. You see? Why? So really, you never would have been judged had you not been living there. But since you're living there, and everybody, that the Gemara, the Gemara says that, you know, uh, even, uh, you know once the destroyer is, uh, is out there, then many people who never would have been punished because they would never have been judged are now judged and lo and behold, they find that there are things that they've done which deserve punishment. So inadvertently, they are now being punished because they were, they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. It's a Gemara. Therefore, right now in the Mokham of where China is collapsing in that sense, right? Uh, all of a sudden, that is a time of judgment, right? And if heaven looks at your uh, portfolio and they find sins for which uh, the person would deserve an economic hardship or whatever he uh, he will be judged at that time and he will be punished because he deserves it but the problem is he should never have been judged but he is because he's now at the time of judgment that's how it works yeah what about him God takes everything into account I mean, you know. How's he going to replenish that? <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't think God has problems. My question is, how did you make money from Amazon? Yeah, and what, that's all part of the cheshman. It's part of the reckoning that God takes. It could be, it could be, it could be that if somebody's a big donor, no, you're not listening, go ahead. What? Can you? 
it's, it's a good question. I think part, I think, what is keeping Trump from releasing Pollard? It's a good question. My, my sense is that if Pollard would be in prison, I think he would have pardoned him. The problem is that Pollard is not in prison, right? He's on probation. So maybe that's less of an incentive because he is free, technically, right? He's not in prison anymore, you know? So maybe he feels, well, I don't know if this is a fact, but maybe he feels that since anyway he's free, it's just that his probation is very tough and actually in many ways un totally unfair. For some reason he's not thinking about that. But I really wonder if part of the onslaught of the Democrats against Trump is for the sin of him not removing Pollard. Because God is adding, you see. There's a certain amount of punishment that Trump has to go through for many reasons. But one of them is not doing, he's not, he's not doing his complete job. His job is to help the Jews, to free them, to give them back Israel, protect them against the enemies, and so on, and really make them successful and so on. You know, that's a, that's a heavy burden. And if, he, if he's negligent on any of that, he will be punished. But he won't be overthrown. He'll still be doing what he does. But he, so in other words, it could be that the Democrats, you know, just as an example, maybe could never have put together, uh, you know, such a case against them, you know. But part of the reason why they were successful is because part of it is a punishment to Trump. You see what I'm saying? And maybe part of that is why aren't you releasing Pollard or at least free him from this nonsense? How could you, well, you know, the, the, the reasons why they're doing this is insane. That he still remembers secrets for 30 years as if they were relevant today. I mean, give me a break, you know. No, it's basically anti-Semitism. It was just terrible, you know, and so on. So that, that could be part of the idea. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, using Egypt. We need to study Egypt as a model for... Yeah, the redemption right. process. So, so, and you mentioned the Koshet, the darkness as one of the... Uh, Enlightening things for the Jews. So how do we deal with the 80%? Rashi brings that. Uh, yeah. Uh, that was, uh, I think I gave that shear two weeks ago. <laughs> so I would ask you, I would refer you to that shear. What, 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 what the 80% was all about. And why it happened and so on, you know. And why they died. You know. So uh, I don't want to go into all shear again, but. Uh, any other questions? Yeah. Um, it's kind of a little bit different. Um, I noticed that there's tremendous amount of earthquakes going on right now. Tremendous amount of changes going on with Earth. How does this all work? You're talking about earthquakes? Yeah, there's... There's the, the, the Gemara in Yushalmi says very interesting, you know. Uh, one of the, uh, I think one of the Tanoim, whatever, was speaking to Eliyahu Novi, Elijah the prophet, who's pretty knowledgeable, to say the least. So he asked him, interesting, he asked him, he said, why are there earthquakes? You know, what he, whatever he called it in Hebrew, you know? You know, Rosh or whatever. Do you know what, you know what Elio Anovi told him? He said, earthquakes come as a punishment for homosexuality. That's what Elio Anovi said to this individual, yeah. And that's why it's happening all over the world right now? Yeah. In some Every sense. Week, two weeks, I'm yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah. But that's what Elion Novi said, and we can believe Elion Novi. He's got tremendous uh, connections in heaven, yeah. say at least. Yeah. I want to ask you, you mentioned that you feel the anti Semitism 
around the world as a result of Hashem saying, what are you really going to do about all this? That's one of the reasons. Right. It's more than that. Right, but, but my, my question to you is, if you, if you even look now at the two people that, that, that Trump got rid of, that Vin, Vinman. Oh, Vinman, yeah, those right, two guys. That sold men also. Both of them are Jews, by the way. Vinman is Jewish? Yes, Vinman is Jewish. Okay, yeah. He's a Ukrainian Jew. Okay. And, and so is uh, so, so is that ambassador. So Sandline? Yeah. Sandline? Whatever his name is. Sandline. He's also a Jew. Okay. So my question to you is, it could it be possible, you know, you, you say that it has to, you know, the Jews will come here as a result of the economy, et cetera, et cetera. But it could be possible that Hashem is setting up this anti-Semitism. Because ultimately, look, Jews won't leave. You know, to, to actually get Jews out. Because if you look at the talkbacks, in, in, you know, if you go into Fox News, and you go into Breitbart News, and you look at the talkbacks, you're seeing the anti-Semitism growing by, by them pointing out, they all point mm -hmm. out, like, look, 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 look what tribe is really causing all this against, against Trump. Because you can look at Cohen, his lawyer, right? Yeah. And you're, you're seeing an increase in that. And it could, could this be, as a, could, really, could, could it be Hashem saying, listen, you're not going to get out any other way unless... Well, I mentioned, uh, uh, was it, uh, I, I, I meant what you're, you're suggesting, I had mentioned, I said, one of the reasons for the anti-Semitism is God has to shake up the Jews by reminding them, by the way, this is not your place. Go to Israel. Means he's beginning to alert because everybody's very comfortable here. You know, everybody's here, they make a living, great living, got four cars in the garage and all that stuff. And what God is doing is he's telling the Jews through the anti-Semitism, and by the way, you are still in Gullus, this is not your country, and I'll show you by having anti-Semitism rise in America and in Europe. Yeah, I said that, what you're saying now, which is definitely true. Yeah. I have a few questions, I don't know if I can ask them all, but my first question is... Um, <coughs> can you speak louder? Because I, I... First of all, I just want to say that I'm really excited. I've been following your shares on YouTube for since before the election of Trump. And, and wow, that's like yeah. four and a half years ago. Yeah. Four years. And I don't listen to, your, to all your classes, and I've never been to an actual one, so I'm very happy to be here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and I always have questions when you give your classes, and I can't ask them. So, you talk a lot about the Arab Rock. Yes. It's a little disturbing to me because what I thought and what I learned was that the Arab Rock were these sorcerers of, of Paro that were not quite sure who's right, because they were doing stuff, they were doing stuff, and then eventually when they saw, okay, they went out, then they're like, okay, they're probably right, let's go with them. So they weren't the Jews, but they, they pulled, they always pulled the Jews, the stragglers, the, the weaker people, with them to make trouble. Right? Okay. So today to call people that are just, um, you know, that are secular, that are right-wing and care about the country, to call them Arab rock, like... Let me answer you. Really hard time so let me answer you. Yeah. You, you are mistaken about what an heir of Rav is. That's your fundamental mistake. What is an heir of Rav? <clears throat> an heir of Rav is not an identity of somebody. It's an ideology. You see, the origin of the heir of Rav is Esav. When Yaakov said, right, uh, save me, hatsileni no, miyad ochi miyad Esav, right? So the question is, he said, save me from my, from my brother from Esav. Now, why did he have to double up on that? We know Esau is his brother. He should, he should just have said, save me from Esau, period. 
And the idea to that is that what he said was very important. He said, save me from my brother when Esau comes disguised as my brother who wants to help me, but really wants to destroy me. And then save me from my brother when he comes as Esau, really wants to destroy me. An Erevrav is an ideology that can be, man that can be manifest in any, any Jew or anybody. Somebody wants to destroy the unique bond or the identity actually of the Jewish people and he is a leader, he's an Erevrav. You see, that, that's the concept of an Erevrav. You see, the same thing with Amalek. There's no Amaleks today. They died a long time ago. There's no nation called Amalek, but it's the ideology of Amalek that's called Amalek. And whoever possesses that is an Amaleki. You see what I'm saying? The Nazis were Amalek. Because they, not because they came from Amalek. I mean, maybe they did. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Genealogically, you know, it goes back thousands of years. But the Nazis in Machshamam are Amalekis. Why? Because they possess the ideology of an Amalek. And if you want to know what the ideology of Amalek is, listen to my Shia, which I gave in Yabona last year, on what an Amaleki really is, what the ideology is, and why God hates them so much. You see? So that's the answer to your question. You're looking at individuals as a particular kind of identity, but that's not what makes them an Erevrav, right? What makes them an Erevrav is they want to destroy the bond which exists and makes the Jews unique. And that is that Torah, God, is what makes the Jews unique. And they're the ones who did the Chet Egel, which to destroy the bond that Jews have with God. You see? Okay? That's the answer to your question. Sure. And continue the great work uh, listening to that share. Yeah, it's almost like you can say to yourself, how come I didn't think about that? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You talked about, I'm sorry, can I ask what? you? What? Yeah, okay, one more. You talked about the, um, the territories, of, of getting back our territories. Yeah. If you look at the biblical, biblical territories, we include <coughs> a lot of Lebanon, a lot of Jordan, yes. a lot of Syria. Yeah, but that's messianic. Okay, so that will right. only be after Mashiach bin David comes. So you're saying Mashiach ben David is, is, is 10 years away? Is that what you said? Uh, that's what the Zoya says. It's astounding, isn't it? It's astounding, but, it's, it's but look what's happening. I mean, Trump came out of nowhere. And he's doing what he did. Nobody could have predicted what he, he's doing for Eretz Israel. Who would have predicted that? Nobody. In fact, they all called him an anti-Semite in the beginning. I said it, it's ridiculous. I, I predicted that he would win one month after he announced his candidacy and I said you guys have no idea what he's going to do. He's going to be the greatest friend Israel has ever had. I said that four and a half years ago? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well you know, you heard it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And it's based on the Hashkofa. That's what it's based on. You know, because uh, whatever reason I knew that who he was and I said uh-oh. He's, Asaph is coming back and it's going to be absolutely beyond belief. And it is. Yeah, it is. One more question. Um, you know, the, um, this, this whole concept of the Democrats, of the secular Jews, you know, that are yeah. Jew haters and yeah. voters of anti-Israel and all this policy. Or, on the other hand, just a lot of very, very secular Jews yes. that have 
have no concept and no understanding of what spirituality is, because spirituality is a term that's just thrown very loosely. Yeah. And you know, and they're well-meaning, but they are so they, they are so lost within the lies of you know of the Democrats and and that everything is permissible in order to be good. You have to allow everything to be. Yeah. Okay. What happens to them? What happens to them? I mean, it's my family. Like where? Like what happens? You mean what happened to all the liberal Jews? What will happen to them is what happens to all Jews at the ends of heaven. They will come back. But do, do, I mean, are, are they part of it? Do they, do they get to be in the process? Yes, of course. Of the redemption? Do they, do they, do they have no interest in coming to Israel? Why would they want to come to Israel? The taking of the Jews now, which is coming to an end, right? Because I said, 98% of the taking is complete. That's why we are at the end of Iqvist the Meshicha. The taking of the Jews, strange as it sounds, doesn't come from the secular Jews because they are, they are complete oinus. They are amaratsim. They don't know anything. And if they don't know anything, then their sin doesn't count as an obstruction to the tikkun because you have to have free will. Part of free will is you have to know that it's a sin. The tikkun of the Jews comes from, strangely enough, the charedim because they know what the sin is. So when they do a mitzvah, there's a tikkun. You see? That doesn't mean if a liberal Jew does a mitzvah. No, of course it is. But the, the liberal Jew cannot create a, an avlo, a kilkel, a damage. Because he's an amoritz. And because of that, unless God decides that this he should have known. Because today you can go online and find anything else. Yeah. Somebody has some responsibility for not learning? They, they do, but that, that already, only God knows. If they could have known or does know, we, we can, cannot possibly judge them, you know? But uh, by and large, uh, a great deal of the Jews today are Amaratsim, and therefore they're oinists. They don't know anything. How many Jews have been brought up in homes that aren't religious at all? So, you know, maybe, you know, only God can judge them. We can't, you know, and so on. You know why Jews are liberal? You know why they're liberal? Yeah, that's, that's true, but there's another reason. Because the Jews have been in exile for 2,000 years and have suffered. So the only political ideology that they feel they can survive is liberalism, because everything goes. Conservatives are not good for Jews, because they're strict. But a liberal says everything goes. Want to do your thing, do it. So a liberal ideology, a political ideology, is the safest form of government for a Jew. That's why all Jews, are li most Jews, have become liberal. It's to survive. Interesting. Okay? Next. One question from this side. From this side, yes. You it's very good that you are optimistic about future and the Yes, I'm very optimistic. And the peaceful plan. However, you did not mention fast that this plan uh, supposed to give up uh, about 70% of uh, ancestral Jewish land. Who said? Oh, Trump. Or oh, by peace plan. Yeah, it'll, but it'll never happen. Huh? I said it will ne never happen. It is only a device to get Arabs to say no, and then I'll let the Jews do the next everything. You rely only on Arabs, but if Jews will say yes during the election or whatever, when you I want to tell you something. God will not allow the Arabs to say yes. Not the Arabs. So you relied on Arabs not. No, I relied on God saying to the Arabs, you cannot say yes. 
But you do not be afraid the Jews majority will say yes to this plan, even if they do not have... It doesn't make a difference what the Jews say. God is in control. Of course. That's a, no, not of course. That's why this is what's going to happen. It's not the Jews. Who cares what the... It doesn't make a difference. Once God has decided to end the entire journey of Tikkun, then you have no free will anymore. It must end. There's no... Like God told, you know, there's an end time that must happen. No force in the universe can stop it. That's what God is, right? And once God has decided that we are entering before a messianic era, it's over with. There's nothing you can do. You see? Except go along with the program. See?